Hey guys, this is the Crux True Survival Stories. I'm joined as usual by my trusty sidekick and sister who is just stuck in the driveway at our brother's house. Whoop, whoop. Just, and I survived it. And he survived. Tessa yeah. King, that's me, the survivor. <laughs> so good to be back chatting with you again after the holiday season. It's nice to have a break, but it's so good to be back again. And I'm really looking forward to the kids going back to school tomorrow, I have to say. Right, and I hope you all survived the holidays with your in-laws you don't even have in-laws nope but you know people complain about it that's i guess it's true toby's probably complaining right now to someone um so today we're going to be talking about jan Ballsrode, a tough guy who is as handy as they come his story seems so outrageous that it could be suited for an adventure drama made for hollywood come on hollywood yeah well, there is a movie, but I don't know who produced it. Oh, well, I'm just kidding, Hollywood. I take it back. So Jan was a Norwegian commando during World War II who swam through icy waters during an enemy attack, survived an avalanche, and amputated some of his toes. Norway had remained passive during World War I and had not engaged in the war efforts. When Hitler and the Nazi party started taking the world by storm, Norway was hesitant to become involved. Unfortunately, Hitler was wanting to influence all that he could. And in April 1940, Blitzkrieg, which means an intense military campaign intended for swift victory, came to Norway. Norway, having a host of natural resources as well as a naval stronghold in the North Atlantic, was an attractive area to the Nazi forces. By 1943, Norway was occupied by Germany. Norway didn't take back control of their country until 1945. There were some Norwegians that welcomed the Nazi party, but that was the minority. There were many Norwegians who bravely fought against the Germans in underground resistance groups. Company Linge, also known as Norwegian Independent Company One, was one of these groups. The name Company Linge was named after its leader, Captain Martin Linge. The men of this group were trained in Scotland and were supported by the British Special Operations Executive. They returned home to their native land to work against the Nazis by conducting raids and sabotaging them whenever possible. There were a lot of people that were a part of the resistance that weren't necessarily as organized, or at least that's the way it sounds as I was going through things. In March of 1943, Company Lynch and eight other Norwegians were selected for Operation Martin for a total of 12 men. The plan was to eliminate a German airfield control tower using eight tons of explosives. That's Dang. a lot. That's a lot of boom. <laughs> the air that sounds like the bomb. Yeah. But this is, I, I think we're going to change it. Just, you know, instead of the bomb. The boom. Yeah. Just a lot of boom. It's a lot of boom. Yeah. The airbase was located in the northern Norwegian town of Bardifoss. Okay. Bardifoss. Okay. Guys, I just want to say an apology to the Norwegians because I will not pronounce anything correctly and I, I'm so sorry. Our brother would be so disappointed in you. He should probably be here right now and he could just correct me as we're going along. I know. What a loser. <laughs> so he lived in Norway for his senior year in high school. And he has been back multiple times. And he speaks almost fluent Norwegian. He would probably say fluent, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Take it with a grain of salt. We wouldn't know any better. <laughs> we wouldn't know any better. Anyway, I digress. 
So that was the first the first part of this mission, of course, was to take their a lot of boom and blow up this airfield control tower. The second act of the mission was to recruit Norwegian resistance fighters. The story goes that one of the resistance commandos made an attempt at contacting a local resistance member and in a twist of fate spoke to an individual with the same name a local shopkeeper, someone who is implicated in reporting the details of the conversation to the Gestapo. Ugh. So it's basically over before it even begins. Yeah, that's so sad. There are reports of the shopkeeper being a German imposter. I don't know. Maybe they were a Norwegian imposter. That makes more sense. Yeah. They were pretending to be Norwegian, maybe part of the resistance, when really they were part of the Nazi group. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Anyway. In any case... When the group learned of that, so when the group of Norwegian um, fighters, Operation Martin, the ones conducting Operation Martin, I should say, once they learned it had failed, they hopped back into the fishing boat, the MK Brantholm, which contained their explosives, and they attempted to escape, which I don't know if that was the right move to make, but I don't know what their other options for escape really were. Um, Unfortunately, they were intercepted and attacked by a German frigate, which is a warshape, warship. 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 And it's, it, it was uh, the Romboot R-56 in a fjord near an island off the coast. They decided that the best course of action was to blow up their own vessel. Oh, my Instead gosh. of turning it over and turning themselves into the Nazis. That's a lot of boom. That's a lot of boom. Yeah. After lighting a time-delayed fuse, the group t- tried to escape again and threw themselves into a dinghy and you can imagine what occurred next of course yes the ship exploded but the germans opened fired on the group and the men all ended up in the icy water horrible the nazis pulled the men from the water that is 11 of them these men were handed over to the gestapo and executed if you remember correctly the group had 12 men to start so what happened to the last man Well, one of the men was not apprehended. He happened to be the hero of our story, and he was a skilled, determined, and perhaps lucky to have saved his own life. I say perhaps lucky because you haven't heard the rest of the story yet. And this individual was Jan Balsrud. Our story is about Jan, so a little bit of information about him before we dive deeper into the story. Like he did into the icy waters. (laughs) Jan was born in Oslo. And his family moved to Kolbotten in the 30s, and he was there until the 50s. He graduated in 1939 and studied to be a cartographical instrument maker. So So, for mapping Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I think, you know, tools used in the act of mapping. I don't know. In the act of cartography. Yeah. I mean, I guess the cool thing is he probably had a good understanding of topography. Mm Mm-hmm would be my guess. So Balsrud had fought in the Westfold during the German invasion and then escaped to Sweden where he joined the British Legion who trained him to be a spy. He went to Norway three times as a spy. Uh, sorry, on the fourth attempt he was apprehended and he was tried as a, a spy and served three months in prison before he was expelled. That's not so bad. <laughs> no, it, it could be so much worse. It could be yeah, execution or something. Eh. Yeah. He um, spent the next six months traveling to the Soviet Union, Africa, and the U.S., and he ended up in Scotland. I don't know if this was just, like, travel for pleasure or what. I'm not really sure. Reconnaissance. No specifications (laughs) there. 
So this is when he was recruited by a special operations executive and became a part of Company Lynch. He was trained in intelligence and sabotage operations. At the time, he was 25. He had been prepped to conduct an underwater demolition during Operation Martin. He was supposed to swim to some seaplanes at the airbase to place magnets that would destroy them. So, so we he know was, he's an adept swimmer. Yes. He was trained to do this. Mm-hmm. He had a specialized skill set for surviving conditions that he experienced following the destruction of the team's dinghy, you know, a.k.a. swimming in cold water probably for pro, like prolonged periods of time underwater. Otherwise, yeah. they would have shot him down before he got to shore. You know what else I learned from you is that you're not dead until you're warm and dead. That's so. true. That's a very good point. So back to the dinghy in the ice-cold waters. At the point that the Germans were attacking the dinghy, Balsrud dove into the Arctic waters and he swam to shore. He was missing a boot. He was drenched. Clearly, he was freezing. He found a ravine and he just hunkered down there and waited. The Germans were aware that one of the resistance members had escaped and they tailed him. Balsrud ended up shooting one of the pursuing Germans with his Colt revolver, killing him. He had that through the water? Apparently, maybe it was it in his, maybe it was in his pants or something, or maybe he had a backpack. I don't know. I don't know what was on his person at the time that he dove into the water, but mm-hmm. yeah, good point. Obviously, he had it; otherwise, he'd be mm. dead before. This would be the end of the story. Sure. <laughs> so there's clearly chaos on the water with a fishing boat explosion and the German gunfire, and two girls went to explore. Obviously, there were a lot of noises going on. One of these girls was 10-year-old Dagmar Itzrupsen. She was interviewed in 2016 from the, or by the New York Times, and she stated that Jan was ice cold and had totally frozen uniform. It was just oh frozen gosh, in place so on crazy. his body. Her family helped him, and she found him to be grateful and gracious towards her family. He stayed for a short time, and he knew the Germans would be pursuing him still, and he didn't want to endanger anyone in the effort to help him. So Jan made a plan to travel to Sweden, a neutral country. He knew he was going to be turned over to the Germans if he went there. There were many individuals that Jan had to rely on to make this arduous journey. He made a point to never indicate where he was going or where he'd come from in order to protect those who were brave enough to, willing, brave enough to be willing to help him. So he went from one family to another and village to village on his travel to Sweden. Uh, we should put, Tessa, you should put a map of his journey on the Instagram, our Instagram, just so people have a general idea of how far he traveled. So he was greeted with kindness from fellow countrymen who gave him food, shelter, and new boots as well as skis. So the good news was there were a lot of Norwegians that were on board with helping him and weren't at all supportive of the Nazi party. The next step in his journey to Sweden required him to summit Mount I'm going to say this totally wrong. I'm so sorry, Norway. Mount Jaeger, Jaegerier. Here, I want you to pronounce this. Yigare? Or maybe Yegare. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, it's a 3,000-foot mountain. So he's climbing on this mountain. He's got skis on. He's got a backpack full of stuff. And imagine how bad the skis he's, were back then. Yeah, they're also, just wooden note. skis, no edges. Um, he's going up this mountainside, and then... An avalanche decides to lumber down the mountainside and caught him up in the mix, and he went 300 feet down the mountain as if he hadn't encountered enough obstacles as it was. 
Can't catch a break. No. Thankfully, he was only partially buried, but he did lose his boots, his skis, and his food, and he was left with a concussion and suffered from cold exposure and snow blindness. Snow blindness. So um, at first I was like, I don't know what snow blindness is. That is that just because of like the UV or? Yeah, yeah, it's photokeratitis. Photokeratitis. Wasn't well, that a- kind of what happened to Beck Weather? Yes. So it's a painful eye condition that is caused by exposure to UV rays. Basically, it's a sunburn of the cornea. No, thank you. Um, Symptoms of this condition include eye pain, twitching eyes, constricted pupils, intense tearing. I would imagine it would make it difficult to see. That would be my guess because your eyes are watering. Your pupils are con- are constricted. Yeah. Well, if um, they call it blindness, then I'm sure that's for a reason. name. <laughs> yeah. Um, the treatment of... Um, this condition includes removal of the source of UV radiation, which probably was not a possibility for him. Right. And covering the corneas and pain relievers, none of which he was able to do. And I am very doubtful that they made sunglasses for UV like that, uh, like reflecting Uh, off snow. No way. He started hallucinating at this point. He thought he could hear the voices of his comrades calling out for him. The people that just died. Yeah. Against all odds, he managed to find his way to another village, which, again, I'm going to botch this one, Fru Flatten. Fru (laughs) Flatten. Sorry, Norway. (laughs) It took him three days of walking to get there. How did he survive? You know, when I was reading earlier, I'm pretty sure that he lost his boots in the avalanche, which means what is he walking in? Socks, if even? I don't know. For three days. And he's concussed and confused and... How did Can you imagine how bad your feet would hurt? Yeah, and I, I was kind of wondering if, at this point, like he clearly had a good lay of the land if he was mm-hmm. going to be able to find this village when he had head injury mm-hmm. and he can't see anything in the worst of conditions. A family by the name of Granville helped him. Um, they hid him in a barn, despite the fact that German troops were staying at, right next door at the local schoolhouse. That's, that's ballsy. Yeah. Um, Jan had pretty severe frostbite and so they decided to move him i think they just realized that the time was really important they needed to get him out of there because things were not going to improve they coordinated a transport to another island on a concealed stretcher then on a sled and a rowboat across the fjord the villagers left him in a shed in revdal that was six by nine feet with some supplies which he named hotel savoy which is Cute. joking about the comparison between the shed and the luxury hotel in Westminster in central London. He had concerns about developing infection in his toes because he was developing gangrene Ew. from his frostbite. So he sterilized his knife and amputated one of his great toes and oh. removed the tips of some of his other toes. Oh. I, know. I know. He probably didn't have a lot of sensation left. Still. I know. After the storm abated... Oh, Sorry. He was stuck there for five days due to a storm. So they were going to leave him there, come back for him. After the storm abated, the villagers crossed the fjord and traveled further into the mountains with Balsrud. The remainder of his journey would be marked by stops and starts associated with the weather. He was left in a rock crevice for nine days, then five days in another location, 17 in the next. His gangrene was spreading, and ultimately Balsrud amputated his remaining toes, all of them. All ten? All of his toes. He cut them all off. Oh, my goodness. And with some of these long periods of time where he was just left by himself, he considered suicide as an option. 
Ultimately, the Norwegian resistance asked for aid from the Sami native tribe members, and these people are the native people from northern Fennu, Scandinavia. They used a sled pulled by reindeer to cross Finland into Sweden, having to evade the Germans along the way, which I didn't find any details about evading the Germans, but it sounds very, I'm sure it's a very intense experience because whoever's trying to save him is going to be taken down in the effort if they get caught. Also, that method seems like the most Scandinavian thing I've ever heard. Is to be pulled by reindeer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I don't I don't know how comfortable that would be, but I guess it's better than just sitting waiting for someone to come back for you. Right. When Balzerud arrived in this or arrived at a Swedish hospital, he weighed eighty pounds. It's crazy. So that's like the weight that you probably were when you were in like the fifth or sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just guessing. I don't I mean, know. If I don't know. <laughs> but I don't know how tall he was. I would imagine he would look pretty much like a living skeleton. Sure. It actually took him seven months to regain his weight and relearn how to walk on his disfigured feet. Yeah. If he was an American and he was in an American hospital right now, it would probably take him like two months because we have really high calorie food and <laughs> lots of it. So welcome <laughs> to America. Welcome to the United States. <laughs> After leaving the hospital, he returned to Scotland to train Norwegian resistance members and allied allied forces with the British SOE. But after that, he just decided, I'm not going to sit around and and do this work when I could actually be fighting the war. Mm -hmm. Um, So he went back to Norway to aid the resistance directly until the end of the war. That's... That's kind of crazy. I guess you just feel like you have to have some purpose in your life after you mm-hmm. go through something like this. But like it just, wasn't for no reason. Yeah. But I, I find that kind of crazy. Like, oh, I just spent nine weeks trying, nine weeks plus seven months trying to get back sort of to the place I was before I joined this group. And now I'm just going to do it again. Yeah. Well, I guess it doesn't seem like he was ever deterred after being in jail or prison for three months. I just think that that is pretty impressive stamina. I really love, I think the real heroes are the people who helped him along the way. Like, just that totally. there are that many people who are willing to help him is pretty remarkable. Well, yeah, because like we were mentioning before, you are putting yourself in front of a bullet. So Balzard was honored by the British, who appointed him a member of the British Empire. The Norwegian government awarded him with the St. Olav's Medal which I'm sure that's really significant, but I don't know how significant. He married a woman from the U.S. and raised a family and later was the chairman of the Norwegian Disabled Veterans Union. He died pretty young at the age of 71, and interestingly, his ashes were buried with one of the Norwegian resistance members who helped him survive his arduous journey, this guy named Oslok Fosvold. Fosvold? Sorry, guys. Um, anyway, he, he wanted to be buried with this other guy from the... Norwegian resistance instead of his family. Interesting. Yeah. If you have further interest in the story, there's been some films created on the topic, including a movie called Nine Lives, which is from 1957. That might be a hard one to come by. I don't know. Maybe YouTube. The Twelfth Man in 2017 and some books and other documentaries. Uh, There is a march in Troms, Norway every year to celebrate Balzard. Uh, this is a pretty cool story anyway, just because you don't hear much about those countries during the war. And like, I feel like you always hear about England, Russia, I mean, I guess UK just in general, but uh, US, of course. Yeah. But never the Scandinavian countries. 
That's true. So I like to hear it. There are, I think, some people that have done the route that Jan traveled, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how many miles it was, but... um, Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's what we have for you today. And um, next week, we're going to have an interview with someone who survived a really crazy hurricane. So it should be fun. Stay tuned. You're going to love it. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.